You're listening to audio from Redwood Baptist Church. If you need any more information about us, go to www.redwoodbaptist.org. We hope and pray the message that you're about to listen to will strengthen you, encourage you, and make you more like Jesus. Blessings. Thankful for the truth of that, uh, for that song. Take your Bibles, please. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. 1 Corinthians 1, my heart is already, my heart is already full, and uh, you, know what, you know what else I love? I love the family-orientedness of the service. I love hearing babies, and I want you parents that don't even worry about it for a second. My man Jeffrey back there, I love Miss Kristen. She works in the offices like maybe like once a week or sometime, comes in. She does a lot at home as our finance is so thankful, but uh, he comes in, and he has a special... I hope it's okay, Kristen, that I mention this. He has a special item uh, in the offices, and it is a, I must preface, an unused plunger. It's an unused plunger. He, he goes into one of the kind of storage areas in an office, and he finds a plunger, and he likes to, he likes to play with that thing, and, but it is unused, so praise the Lord uh, for that. Uh, but that's right, you got it. And 1 Corinthians chapter uh, number 1 and I'm, I'm thankful that you're here on a Friday night, and uh, as we will uh, kind of get our, get our minds in on, on the cross here uh, this evening, I'm appreciative of, of your time and that, that you've made the effort and the sacrifice, not so much a sacrifice, but uh, to be here this evening. And you know me, over the years, I don't, I don't ever manipulate anybody. But I'd really like for you to sit up in this front corner section right up here, okay? That's like the first time I've manipulated you in years. So uh, take it. I remember last week we talked about some uh, leadership is failing people at a rate that uh, the people can absorb. So that's one in a couple years, okay? Sit in this section right here. No. Uh, but no one ever, I mean, we promised we dusted these front row seats. No one sat there in like 100 years, you know, but we dusted those ready to go uh, for you. But we're going to have a great day on Sunday. And celebrating our uh, Savior's birth. Wasn't it good to sing some of those songs about the cross tonight? I was good. The old rugged cross. And it just it, it spoke to my heart. And uh, tonight I want to preach a message entitled, Seeing the Cross Clearly. Seeing the Cross Clearly. Uh, I believe, I, I think this is our, our, third, our third Good Friday service. And I love it. Uh, it's not something that we used to do, and uh, we, we, we've done it over the last couple years. And uh, last year, uh, I preached from, uh, was Jesus Christ a victor or a victim? And uh, we noticed how uh, throughout every one of his steps to the cross, uh, these weren't just steps of him being uh, a victim, uh, victimhood, uh, but instead it was uh, Christ and his uh, willingness to, uh, to go uh, because he thought of us, as Mike just sang about. And then a couple years ago, I uh, talked about how Calvary conquers the fear of death. Uh, we were in the book of, of Hebrews. Uh, but this evening, I want to I just kind of take a, a little bit of a different approach. And I want us to make sure that we are seeing the cross clearly. You and I, we, uh, it's mentioned in every service, the resurrection, the power of the gospel in our lives. Uh, but in some ways, I think if we're not careful, we become too accustomed to the cross. Uh, we see crosses every day of our lives. Many churches uh, have them on top of uh, a steeple. A lot of times if you'll go, if you'll go back east, uh, you'll see a lot of steeples and they'll have 
uh, crosses on top of that. There's a cross behind me uh, in the stained glass windows here. Of course, there's a cross to my right, uh, to your to your left. Now, I, I want you to. I'm not. I'm not against the cross. Obviously, I I preach it every single week. I'm I'm passionate uh, about it. But like any other symbol, it can lose its power in our lives if we become too familiar with it. So in other words, you and I, if we're not careful, we can become desensitized to the cross. I want you to think about this for many. For, for many, the cross is nothing more than a piece of jewelry that is used to adorn the ear or the neck. For some, the cross is, a, uh, is, is it's an icon that is um, deserving of worship. Uh, they kneel before it. They, they pray to it. Some see the cross as some form of a charm that can contain supernatural power or they hang it over a bed or an entryway to ward off some type of evil spirit. And so the cross is many different things for a lot of different people. Some, the cross is offensive to them. Look at what it says in verse number 23 of 1 Corinthians 1. It says, but we preach Christ crucified. Mike just saying about that. Unto the Jews, a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks, foolishness. So Paul tells us that uh, the Greeks, they, they considered the cross to be, to be foolish. To be foolishness. The word that we that comes from the Greek word uh, there uh, is the word moriah, or moria, which gives us our English word moron. Uh, so we've come up with our with our English word. You know, I don't. We probably should never call anybody a moron, uh, but with that, that's the English word. So the sophisticated Greeks, uh, they looked at a savior dying on a on a cross, and they declared it to be moronic foolishness. But for others, the cross isn't foolishness. For others, it's not a stumbling block like it, like it was for the Jews. For others, it's the very object of power. It's the very object of wisdom. Verse 24 of our text says, But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. And so, the Christ crucified is the power of God, and it's the wisdom of God. So Paul says those that, those that have grasped the, the true message of the cross, those that have grasped the, the true message of Christ and, and His death, we understand that it's not weak. We understand that it is not foolishness. Instead, it's the power of God. It's the, it's, it's the wisdom of God. You and I, we would, we would find its power in the cross because through the cross, God forever, praise God, destroyed the kingdom of Satan and broke the grip of sin on your life and on my life. And it's the wisdom of God because in the blood-stained cross, God used a tool that neither the devil nor any man could have foreseen the accomplishment of salvation for the world. The Bible tells us that if, that if Satan could have known, that if, that if man could have known that that tool of the cross, so we don't know if it looked exactly like this in Bible days, but, but, but if the devil and, and man would have known that God was going to make a way to redeem all of humanity through that, they never would have sent them there. 
1 Corinthians 2, verse 8 says, which none of the princes of the world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And so we were, we were joking a little bit on Sunday. Uh, it it might have been Sunday or it might have been a night of practice, but I think it was Sunday, Max. We were, we were talking about how we call, it, we call it Good Friday. And you and I, we, we kind of get to heaven you know, and, uh, you know, the, we're kind of being interviewed. I don't think that's going to happen, but just, just, just go along with it, okay? Being interviewed a little bit. And it says, so why did you, what was so, what was so good about, what was so good about Friday? You know, we're like, uh, no, it was, it was, it was really, it was really a bad Friday when we, uh, when we think about it, but it was good for us, but it was bad for Satan, right? And so uh, we think of Good Friday, the center, if you and I have the, at the center of a biblical worldview, is this radical recognition that the most horrible thing that ever happened was also the most wonderful thing that ever happened. And as you and I reflect on Good Friday, we we turn our, our attention to the bloody cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Could it be possible for something to happen that was more terrible than this? Could any injustice be greater than Jesus Christ being crucified on a cross? Could any loss be any more painful? Could any suffering, and I'm going to describe that here in a little bit, could it be any worse? See, when Isaiah was looking into the future, when God was giving him the ability to, to prophesy of what was going to happen and he saw the death of the Messiah, I want you to listen carefully. These verses are used so often. And so tonight, I want us to just kind of slow down, and I want us to see how how Isaiah described it. In Isaiah 53, verse 3, he is despised, he is referencing Jesus, and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes we are healed. Isaiah also tells us when we're referencing the the, the physical pain and the physical nature of the cross as he's describing it he tells us in Isaiah 52 verse 14 his visage was so marred or his his appearance was so marred than any man and his form more than the sons of man what what, what Isaiah is saying there is that that, that, that that his form you couldn't you couldn't even recognize it when you begin to study the the, the four Gospels, and you look at the, 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 the cross from the different Gospels, Luke has something that, that, that is really interesting. I challenge you to kind of go and look at Luke's perspective. Uh, we, uh, we know of the, the upper room, and we looked at Palm Sunday this past week, and how Jesus spent much time with his dear friends. We looked at that even a couple weeks ago at our food and, uh, friend and food truck Sunday, and how he's with his, he's with his friends, and he's and he's breaking, he's breaking bread. I woke up this morning and I was sharing uh, with my family 
when Jesus says, take, eat, you know what that sounds like? It sounds like Genesis 3 when Satan is like, hey, why don't you, why don't you just, just, just eat this? Just eat this. Oh, if, if you'll eat this fruit, if, if you'll eat it, you'll be like gods. You'll, you'll know what is good and evil. And it's almost as if Jesus is saying, take, eat. This is my body, which was broken for you. He was getting ready to, to die on the cross. His body was getting ready to be brutally beaten and broken for that sin that happened all the way at the beginning of time in Genesis chapter number 3. But as you look into Luke's perspective, they go out into the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus asks his disciples to pray. Takes Peter, James, and John. Hey, let's go a little bit further. Asks them to pray. He goes beyond, sweats great drops of blood. We know the story, right? And then he comes back. The disciples are asleep, as most likely maybe you and I had, would have been as well. And the time of the betrayal has already taken place. He gets them to come. Hey, wake up. And Judas comes, kisses him on the cheek. But what's amazing in Luke's perspective is he tells us that the great, there's, there's a great multitude. Matthew and Mark tell us there's a great multitude that comes. And they're coming with flames, they're coming with, with the swords and, and spears. And Jesus is like, I was in the temple teaching all this time, and you never brought any harm unto me. What, what in the world are you bringing all these, this army with you? Do what you've got to do. Your, your, your time is now. The hour of darkness is, is now. Do what you've got to do. And, you know, Peter cuts off the ear, right? And he puts it back on him. At that moment, I would have been like, all right, I'm not taking this guy in anymore. But in Luke's perspective, before they ever take him to Pilate, they take him to Caiaphas' house, and this multitude buffets him. Only really Luke kind of gives the indication. This is long before the, the trial takes place, which was, which was scandalous to begin with. And they just buffet him. They hit him. They blindfold him. Who hit you, Jesus? Who hit you? And so his, he's just he's brutally beaten. And then he is scourged. Or he's beaten with a cat of nine tails. Nick, I, want you to, I, I, I knew I was going to have children in here, so I want you to just uh, bring up this image here for me, please. This is kind of, you've kind of got a, uh, you know, a flog on the left, but we believe it was a cat of nine tails. There would have been nine of them, and they would have been kind of, kind of the whipping post that they would have been tied to, would have kind of exposed their back, and it would have tightened it, and they would have begun to flog them. I'm going to read an excerpt here from, and I've kind of edited a little bit uh, because of, we have children in here, but it's called, it's from the physical suffering of Christ by Lumpkin. Just, it's it, it, it's going to be long. Just let me read it. And he uses many other references in, in the book. But here's what he says. It is at this point that Jesus suffers a severe physical beating. During a flogging, a victim was tied to a post, leaving his back entirely exposed. The Romans used a whip called a flagrum or flaglum, which consisted of small pieces of bone and metal attached to a number of leather strands. The number of strikes is not recorded in the Gospels. The number of blows in Jewish law was set in Deuteronomy 25, verse 3, at 40, but later reduced to 39 to prevent excessive blows by a counting error. The victim often died from the beating. 39 hits were believed to bring the criminal, 
the criminal. Jesus was no criminal. But to bring the criminal to one from death. Roman law, however, did not put any limits on the number of blows given. During the flogging, the skin was stripped from the back, exposing a bloody mass of muscle and bone. Metherol described it this way. Hamburger meat. Go to Costco tomorrow and go look at what hamburger meat looks like. Extreme blood loss occurred from this beating, weakening the victim, perhaps to the point of being unconscious. And that was just the flogging. Many would die from that. And of course, then they uh, put the crown of thorns and they smote it on his head and they, and, and, and they put the, uh, the purple robe on him and then let that coagulate a little bit and then they ripped it off, exposing the wounds all over again. And then of course, he has to carry his own cross and he's lost so much blood, he's been so brutally beaten. His, his, his demeanor, you, can, you can't even tell that he even looks like a man, Isaiah says. And he falls under the weight of the cross. And of course, Simon comes and carries the cross. A beautiful prophecy fulfilled in that. And then, of course, he's taken to Mount Calvary, Golgotha. And the nails are pierced. He's pierced through each side and through his feet. And he's mocked and he's scorned. Why would he endure this kind of death? Why? Well, there's only one real answer. And that answer is, of course, he was obeying the Father's will. But it was based out of love. A love for the world. Romans 5.8 says, But God commendeth, He shows His love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 3.16 says, Hereby perceive we, here's how we see the love of God, because He laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Listen to me, the cross is it's more than a trinket to be worn without thought. Nothing wrong with it. But it shouldn't be just without thought. It's not an amulet to be used to ease our superstitions. It's not an idol to be worshipped. It's a symbol. And it's a symbol of God's love for you and God's love for me. Therefore, you and I, we ought to, we ought to glory in the cross. We ought to praise the Lord for what He did for us. Because you and I, it is the doorway into life for all who know Jesus as Savior. Galatians 6.14 says, But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. I used this quote last year, and I want to use it again. It's by Alastair Begg. And here's what he said. Our sin must be absolutely horrendous if it takes the death of God's only Son. Hey, let's not just let's not just be like, ah, eh, you know, I can just live however I want. Now allow the Holy Spirit of God to bring about that sanctification. We understand that everyone's gonna be at different levels and growing at different rates, and I think we have a 
culture here of love and acceptance. I, I, I believe that. But our sin ought to be, it, it's pretty horrendous if it took the death of his only son to fix it. Hey, why don't you eat this fruit? No, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. The only man who has ever lived a life that was perfect in every way possible was Jesus Christ. He was tempted at all points like as we are, yet he never sinned. He gave his life for the sacrifice of many. He willingly suffered from birth to death in the loyalty of his calling. He is cruelly and publicly murdered in the most vicious of ways. Paul Tripp says, God eternal became a child so that through his life and through his death and resurrection, praise God, we could become the children of God ourselves. Lovely. So how could it be? That the Son of God, the Son of Man, how, how could it be that He could die? How could it be that, that men could capture and torture the Messiah? And we're talking about God here. The one that literally took the ear and put it back up on the guy. The guy, the, the, the man that, 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 that fed five plus thousand with, with fish and bread and all the different kinds of miracles. How could it be that a simple army could capture and torture the Messiah? Was this not the end of every good and true and beautiful thing? If this could happen, hear what I'm about to say, if this could happen to God's Son, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ Almighty, what hope is there in the world? I mean, if, if, if this could literally happen. Well, because you and I, we, we know the end of the story. And the answer is yes, there is hope. Good Friday was not the end. Why? Because Sunday's coming. I hope you all will be here. Where are we going to sit? Oh, look at that manipulation right over here. I'm just kidding. You don't really have to, but there, will, there might be Starbucks cards over there. But Sunday's coming. It's coming. Praise God. It's coming. And God's righteous and powerful and wise plan, this dark and disastrous moment, was ordained to be the moment that would fix all the dark and disastrous things that sin had done to this world. This moment of death was the same time, hear me, it was a moment of life. This hopeless moment was the moment when eternal hope was being handed out, when it was being given. This terrible moment of injustice was the very same, at the very same time, a moment of amazing grace. This moment of extreme suffering. Hear about what I'm about to say. This extreme, brutal suffering guaranteed that suffering would end someday for those that trust Christ. Oh, we suffer here in this world. But someday, if you know Christ is your Savior, woo, there's coming a day where there's no more pain, no more sorrow. I had the privilege of meeting um, the, 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 this woman named Evelyn on Wednesday at Kaiser. It was so amazing. I was seeing Frank and Diane there at the hospital, and I get a voicemail. They called the church. I was at the hospital, and so it gets transcribed to an email, and they were looking for a pastor there at the Redwood City Kaiser. And I was like, I'm here. But I'll be honest with you, I was like, man, I got a lot to do. Is it okay that I'm being real with you right now? I was like, uh, uh, come on. Okay, and then I forgot that I get the same email, but to two different email accounts, Rick. And so I pulled up that second email from, oh, I'm like, okay, Lord, 
you must want me to go. And so he wanted me to go the first time, but I'm just sometimes a little slow up here, okay? And so I called and I said, hey, I'm here. And I walked in to a 97-year-old lady who's lived for the Lord her whole life, met her family, awesome. I'm praying that they come uh, on Sunday. And uh, from Hawaii, I went to a church of the pastor that I know there in Hawaii. And 97 years old. And the family is gathered around a 97-year-old, and they are all testifying of when when heaven comes, the suffering body is no longer going to be suffering. No longer a need for any more IVs. I mean, she was hooked up to IVs, couldn't even eat, kidneys failing. Evelyn Lee. And so Jesus suffered. So someday, you and I as believers, we won't have to. The moment of sadness. The sadness. Think of the, think of the weeping. That moment of sadness welcomed us to eternal joy of heart and joy and life. The capture and the death of Christ simultaneously purchased for us life and freedom. So it is a good Friday. Oh, it was, it was bad for Satan, but boy, was it good for you and me. 1 John 129, 1 John, or John 129, the next day, John, see a Jesus coming, for, uh, coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. John 3, 36, He that believeth on the Son, praise God, hath everlasting life. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For He hath made Him, God made Jesus, to be sin for us, Ryan, that knew no sin, Jesus knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. The very worst thing that can happen at the very same time was the very best thing. You hear what I'm about to say? Only God can accomplish that. Only God. The same God who planned this is your heavenly Father if you are a believer. He rules over every moment of your life. And He rules over it in powerful grace. He's able to do for you just what He did in redemptive history. Listen, God takes the disasters in your life and He makes them tools of redemption. He takes your failures and He employs them as a tool of grace. He uses the death of this fallen world. He uses the the brokenness, the, the struggle of this fallen world. He uses the the body breaking down, the aches and the pains, the the hardness of a world that was not intended to be this way and someday it's going to be restored. But He uses that to motivate you to reach out for life. See, you and I, we we weren't meant to find life here. We weren't meant to find our meaning in this world. You and I, we were meant to find life in Christ, the hardest things in your life, I know this isn't easy to hear, can become the sweetest tools of grace in His wise and loving and powerful hands. James tells us this, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire, mature and wanting nothing. Be careful 
how you make sense of your life. What looks like a disaster may be, in fact, grace. What looks like the end may be the beginning. What looks hopeless may be God's very instrument to give you real and lasting hope. Are you seeing clearly your life? Are you seeing clearly what, not that specific cross, but what the cross purchased for you? Are you seeing it clearly? Sometimes we get so jaded by this world that we don't see that in Christ we actually have enough. The aches and the pains of your life are not to cause you to dig in and to say, I'm going to try harder. No, they're so actually you will give up and reach out for life, for mercy and grace found in the gospel. Your heavenly Father is committed to taking what seems so bad and turning it into something that is very, very good. Job tells us in Job 23, but he knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. When he's tried me, when he's purified me, when he's allowed the, the aches and the pains and the sorrow of this life to cause you to reach out for true life in Christ. If you're here this evening, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Can I encourage you not to leave tonight without talking to myself or Mike or someone about how you can have a relationship with Christ where you can have hope in the gospel. Are you seeing clearly? Oh, it's so bad, Ryan. Really? It's actually God in His grace bringing you to a place of rescue, bringing you to a place of where you want Him more than you want ease, than you want money. Because I'll tell you what, Jesus had to go through that so we could have eternal life. Hey, Sunday's coming. It's a great reflection of the cross and really the resurrected power that really He's wanting to use in our lives. And so as we, as we embark on Sunday, please, I, I, I echo what Mike said. W would you pray for me? I told him, I think it was on Wednesday we were in the offices, and I was like, Mike, I'm just going to be me. I'm just going to be me. I'm not going to try to be somebody that I'm not. I'm not going to try to, you know, have these funny jokes that Jessica didn't think were funny, you know, before every message, Mike. I'm just, I'm just going to be me. And I'm allow the Holy Spirit, I've, I've been begging the Holy Spirit just to work through me. I'm going to be preaching from John chapter number 20 from the perspective of uh, Mary Magdalene. And of course, she experiences the resurrection. She has like the first conversation with Jesus. It's all awesome. At least the text is. We'll see about the preaching. But you pray for me. I, I mean, and I don't mean to be false humility there. Pray for me, please. Uh, that, God, that, God would use, that God would use the worship. I echo what Mike says. Hey, let's sing on Sunday. Say, well, I don't know the song. Sing anyways. Just do watermelon, watermelon. That's what they taught us in college. I don't know. Just, man, have the mouth moving so that others can see. And be friendly. 
I'm going to do something that's not on the cue card. I'm going to have our team come back up. I want to sing the song, Behold Our God. Again, is that what we sang? Behold Our God. So um, let's bow our heads, close our eyes as they come on up, give you a time to reflect.